Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Felton. This week, we have a special double episode with two of America's best marathoners. The first part features Dot McMahon, a member of the Hanson's Brooks Distance Project in Michigan, who has two top 10 finishes at the Olympic Trials Marathon to her credit. She's also a mother with a five-year-old daughter. Primarily an 800-meter runner in high school and college, Dot has since achieved a great deal of success in half marathons and marathons. Some of the key points of this interview included Dot's training as she progressed both in age and in race distance, how motherhood has affected her running, and how to deal with and recover from some injuries. So, Dot, good to have you on the show today. Tell us a bit about your uh, your running history. Um, you know, I started running uh, at a pretty young age. Uh, I was in second grade when I did the uh, Hershey track meets, which most people are familiar with. I wasn't very good. I was okay. Um, but a friend of mine was really, really good. And uh, her mom wanted someone to run with her daughter, to train with her daughter. And she kind of just asked me to do that. We always got ice cream afterwards, so I was game, and uh, that's kind of how I got started at that age, and then uh, obviously, like, you know, middle school, junior high, high school, I just kept getting more and more competitive, and was really fortunate enough to have a lot of uh, older teammates that pushed me along. I don't know if I necessarily would have chose that path, but, you know, they were very honest and upfront with me, and, you know, you have a talent you know, we can do this, we can make it to state, but we need you to be on board. And, uh, you know, kind of showed me the lifestyle of like what it took to really to get those dreams accomplished and, you know, like what to eat the night before a big race and making sure, you know, I'm getting enough sleep and that kind of thing. So I felt like I had a lot of leadership that helped me along the way when I was young. And so then kind of tell us a bit about your progression from high school through college and now and now to Hanson's. Okay. Um, well, in high school, I was a state champ at 800 and 400 meters, um, and uh, so I got offered a scholarship to go to the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, which is a Division One school, but kind of smaller than Madison, which is what everyone's familiar with, and I competed for four years, um, ended up being on the cross-country team, which was something new for me. I had never run cross-country in high school. Really? And uh, Yeah. Well, we didn't have a cross-country team. So. Oh, Okay didn't run cross country. But uh, college, you know, I think I just got distracted with classes and boys and everything else that college was just kind of a kind of a letdown for me. I really got to the end of my college career and thought, this isn't what I really wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. And so um, I started off with a game plan of two years, I give myself two years post collegiately to train. And I gave myself time goals. And I said, if I didn't hit those time goals, then I was going to be done. Then it was, you know, then it's time to focus on your career. And I was working full time those two years, but I still continued to train at a high level and, um, you know, found some training partners, some some women and some men, you know, that really helped push me to the next level. And I was able to achieve those goals um, pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I never really looked back from there. I haven't really stopped competing, but... At that point, I was still doing middle distance stuff, and I did that for five years post-collegically. And then on a whim, I 
kind of got encouraged to try like a half marathon and it didn't go very well and I said I would never run another half marathon again and that lasted a couple weeks and <laughs> I did another one but I ran it much 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 more smart and um you know I really loved it then once I figured out how to race it it, it was so much fun and I really felt like I fell into my own and at that point my husband got offered a job in Michigan and I didn't want to leave where I was in Wisconsin. I had a great job that I loved. It was a full-time job and I was able to still train and I wasn't sure that I wanted to leave, but I remembered reading a, an article in Running Times about the Hansons. And uh, so I looked them up and ironically, I had met one of the Hansons at a cross country race and started talking to them a little bit about it and it, things just really kind of like fell together so I contacted Kevin and Keith and they contacted me right away and said come out for a visit we want to make sure you jive well with the women's team and it all worked out and my husband's had a successful career here in his job and I feel like I've been successful with the Hansons. Well you know it's been probably 10 years at least at this point. I think it's nine yeah nine? I've been here nine okay. years. Well, so clearly it's gone some kind of right. So what was that? <laughs> yeah. So what was that progression like from being uh, mostly a middle distance runner, as you said, to now a, a pretty accomplished marathoner? Yeah, uh, it was a lot of miles. Um, before I came to the Hansons, I had run one seventy mile week, but was more of a fifty to sixty miler um, runner. And uh, when I came, they really pretty much threw me into hundred mile weeks, like right away. <laughs> And uh, it took its toll, probably, at first, um, but I was able to get on a world team within three months, and um, it really just set me up to, to do well at the longer distances. I mean, just running more and more miles, and I have a little bit of natural leg speed, although I can't seem to put together a really fast 5K to save my life, but, um, you know, it doesn't matter because the longer stuff is really my forte anyway. Yeah. So as we kind of alluded to before, you've been training and competing at a at a pretty high level for a fairly long time now. How do you how do you do that? How do you how do you still um, stay motivated to get out of bed in the morning and and do that after well, so long? Motivation's easy. Motivation's easy. Um, I still want to get the best out of myself every day. I wake up and I want to get the best out of myself. You know, even if it's just a ten mile run, I want to go out there and do a good job at my ten mile run. Um, you know, as far as staying healthy and that kind of thing, I think it just takes a lot of good genetics. I think I'm just lucky. I, I don't know. I don't think that you either have, you know, really strong bones or you don't, or you have a lot of muscle mass or you don't. Um, so I think I've been very fortunate just with good genetics and that response. But, um, yeah, I mean, I still feel like I'm getting better. I'm still running PRs. I don't know. I know I'm kind of getting up there in age, but I don't feel that way. And if you're still improving, then age is just a number. <laughs> Right. Why stop? Right. So you mentioned before you've uh, that you're married and you have a uh, and you have a three year old daughter. Is that right? She's four. She'll be five four. in twenty days. Oh wow. Well, <laughs> pardon me for getting that wrong. But so how do you right. balance family life and and having a child with training at a high level like this? Um, we have a lot of communication um, between my husband and my daughter. Um, so in the mornings. You know, I have to take care of my morning training session. It's usually our heaviest and hardest training session. Um, and then in the afternoon, you know, I try to incorporate the family as much as possible. You know, my husband will run afternoon runs with me, and he'll push the baby jogger if my daughter wants to come along. 
Um, you know, she's almost ready to start riding her bike with me for second runs. Um, she's still a little bit slow. But, uh, yeah, you know, lifting weights, doing core work, she's involved in all that. And I just really have to, you know, keep her enthusiastic about it so that she wants to go lift weights with me. And she wants to do, you know, core work while I'm around, you know, just keeping her busy so that I can keep busy with that. And uh, I think it just takes a lot of communication and incorporating your family life into your training life. Sounds like a little different approach. Everybody always talks about how it's you just got to manage your time really well. I I like that about incorporating everybody else into it and making it maybe mm-hmm. part of it. So what adjustments have you had to make in your training as you've gotten older, progressed in, progressed in, in, uh, in distance, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you know, I probably, since I've had my daughter, I probably run a little bit less mileage. Uh, I call it like the, the 10 miles per week is like motherhood miles adjustment. Um, like I'm just a little bit more tired because sometimes, you know, she doesn't sleep through the night or, you know, she wakes up really early or goes to bed late, you know, so there's, there are some adjustments. I'm not sleeping as much as I used to, you know, I, I kind of consider if I get like six hours of sleep a night, that's probably good for me. And I don't have the opportunity to nap. So, um, you know, I think just trying to, you know, have a good diet and just do what you can with what you have for time. You know, um, you mentioned time management and that, you know, that does play a part in it. Um, but, you know, basically I, I think one of the advantages of getting older is that I'm, I'm really, really patient with myself. I think when I was younger, I just always wanted to run the times right now. You know, I just want to do four weeks of training and then run a PR. And now I know that it just takes a little bit of time. And, um, you know, a good example is, uh, the cherry blossom 10 mile, which I did last weekend. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought, you know, I'm probably not quite ready, but I was kind of shooting for 5.30 pace, and um, I fell a little bit short, ran 5.33 pace, and I have the 25K champs coming up in another four weeks, and I realized that I'm probably going to need to run between 5.25 and 5.27 pace to even have a chance at the title, because there's going to be quite a few uh, good women there, and uh, I, you know, I'm just being patient. It's like, okay, well, that... 533 pace 10 mile run was just uh it's just a stepping stone and I still have another four weeks and I think in my younger years I became really impatient with the process of training and now I'm just more relaxed about it and realize that four weeks is such a long long time so much can happen over four weeks having that patience and that confidence is something I didn't have in my 20s that's I think pretty good advice that it's it's a process and everybody's told that all the time but we all tend to forget about it <laughs> so I think and go into that a little bit more about the uh the, the motherhood the motherhood miles adjustment um <laughs> how, so you, you say you're running a little bit less and sleeping a little bit less which most people would interpret right. as not training quite as well so how do you continue to improve when you're quote-unquote not training as well well because I I think that it's taking a toll on your body. Motherhood takes a little bit of a toll on your body. And um, I think just making that adjustment in the miles, um, you know, I nursed my daughter for a whole year. And I mean, that took some depletion out of me. I just couldn't run nearly as much. And even now, I just, even when I trained for a marathon, you know, at one point I was running like 130 plus miles a week. And, and now I really top out at, you know, 120-ish. And uh, that's just the adjustment that, I have to make and my coaches have actually like really made the adjustment for me I really haven't had to like beg for it or anything they realize that you know being a a parent 
takes a little bit more out of you physically. As you mentioned, you're kind of you're get you're somewhat getting up there in age. Your own words, not mine. But uh, but still improving a lot. So do you have any plans for when your competitive career finally does end? Yeah, you know, I have a ton of things that I kind of want to get my hands in. You know, things, um, and something as simple as like donating blood. Something I just, I can't do right now. I don't have right. enough weight for myself. Um, so yeah, kind of things like that. Um, more volunteering work. Um, right now I volunteer like with a, a track club at our ele- the local elementary school. My daughter's not there yet, but um, she will be next year. Um, so I volunteer there, but I, I hope to volunteer a little bit more um, when I kind of done running and maybe only running, you know, a little bit of miles in the morning and not having double runs and not putting so much emphasis on lifting weights and core or just, you know, general appointments to chiropractic and physical therapy. Hopefully those things won't be necessary right. if I'm not running as much. If you're just running, not training. Right. There's a difference, you know, but I'll, I'll be able to spend more time with my daughter and she has things that she's involved in and I'm sure I'll just get pulled in all those directions. And thankfully she does have a little interest in running. So, you know, I can't wait for those days of running a race with her. It'll be fun. Yeah. Sounds like it. <laughs> so what are your, what are some of your favorite training sessions? The Hansons are known uh, for you know, a few of them, but uh, what are some of your favorites? Yeah, I mean, some of the, the well-known Hansons ones are the 2 by 6 mile and the simulator before um, a marathon. Uh, but my personal favorite is 2 mile, 4 by 800, 2 mile. And what right. I like about it is that the first 2 mile doesn't feel very good, and it's usually pretty fast. Um, and then you do the 4 by 800 even faster, but it's shorter, so it feels good. It's 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 great. You feel really good. And then you do the last two mile and you're like so hyped up from those 800s that you're telling yourself just slow down, slow down. But it's really hard to slow down. You're almost running like the same pace that you were running the 800s. Right. I just really like the workout. I like the gear change. It's it, it goes by really quick too. It's actually kind of like a shorter workout for us. And what would what do you what kind so what kinds of paces are those is are those intervals at? Um, probably like 5.30 pace for the two miles, um, and then the 800 is just faster than that, probably 5.20, 5.15, nothing too crazy, um, but we almost always end up running those last two miles pretty quick, a lot faster than 5.30 pace, because yeah. you're just going from the 800s. So, let's say like half marathon pace to, say, 10K pace? Or yeah, so? probably. Okay. Yeah. And what would you, and what do you, what is that workout in preparation for? We actually do that, like, in any build-up. Uh, we've done it in half-marathon build-ups, for sure, 10K build-ups. I'm not sure if we've done it during marathon training or not. I think we've done something similar, but probably with more 800s or something like that in it. But okay. they, they're constantly kind of, like, uh, changing the marathon training a little bit, kind of throwing in a different workout here and there. And um, different people get kind of different workouts depending on what they like and what they don't like. Like, we have an 8-mile tempo, and uh, it's supposed to be like four miles at marathon pace and then four miles go, which is, you know, as fast as you want to go. And some people don't like that. Some people just want to drop it down 10 seconds a mile and that's it. Um, so it's, it really, they make a, a marathon schedule. It's not cookie cutter fit. Everyone's a little bit different. And, um, you know, just having that open communication about your training and, making it work for you, what works for you, what you don't like, what puts you in a hole, what doesn't, that kind of thing. And is that just done kind of through trial and error? 
Yeah, basically. I mean, most of us have run, you know, at least eight marathons. So we kind of know what, what pretty much what puts you in a hole and what doesn't. I think that's probably the biggest uh, learning, like, the biggest thing you can learn is, you know, what's going to put you over the edge and what doesn't. And, you know, sometimes getting down too fast in a marathon workout with dead legs can just really put the nail in the coffin. I've been there many, many, many times. <laughs> More often than not, actually. <laughs> yeah, most of us have at some point or another. So right. you've mentioned a couple of different races in this at this at up to this point. You mentioned the Cherry Blossom 10-miler in Washington, mm-hmm. D.C., and then we've also alluded to what's formerly known as the Riverbank 25K run in Grand Rapids. What are some of your favorite race events to do, and or what have been some of your favorite races to do? Well, I mean, I love the 25K because it's close to home. It's an easy, easy travel, and it's a U.S. championship, so that's probably one of my favorite races. Um, I love the, the Bellin 10K, which is in Green Bay, Wisconsin, so it's kind of close to my hometown. Um, I've just run some really great 10Ks there. Um, I love the crowd. I like the course. It's kind of uphill, and then you can kind of negative split the the second half of the course, and that's kind of a nice uh, feature of it. But, I mean, any of the U.S. championships are always stacked, and I think it's really about the competitors and the crowds. You know, the courses, they can be really tough, and it doesn't really matter. You can, I mean, the 25K is a tough course, and uh, I really like it. I mean, I know it very, very well, and that's kind of my advantage when I go there. So you like those even over some of the, say, the World Championship marathons you've done? <laughs> um, I, You know, it's a little bit different because it's such a small group of people. It's not big, big crowds. Um, so it's just different. You know, it's uh, definitely like the cream of the crop while you're there. And if, you, if you're feeling good and everything's going well, it's a great, great race to PR at. But a lot of times those races are, like, for instance, in Moscow when I went for the marathon, um, it was just so, so hot, you know, it was very, very miserable. And, um, I do think that I was probably in the best shape of my life going into that race. And it was unfortunate that I, I wasn't able to really perform and use a lot of that because I was just kind of suffering a lot of that race. So not so much a heat runner? No, I mean, it was just so extreme. It was just, okay. you know, it, it's not even like, oh, it was like a warm day. It was in the 70s. It was in the 90s. You know, right. it was extreme, extreme heat. And, of course, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That's never fun. <laughs> yeah, not the best choice for time. Well, you got you do what you got to do, unfortunately. Yeah, so, I mean, it was an honor to be there, and I, I learned a lot about myself. You know, just uh, I'm actually stronger than what I think. You know, sometimes you don't even know until you're put into those extreme conditions what you can accomplish. Right. So let's move on a little bit from the elite side of running to more the everyday side of running. Um, what's something you think is missing from, say, the majority of runners' training, like something they could add that maybe they don't typically do? I mean, I think core work is really, really important. It pulls together the upper body to the lower body, um, and it's something that really doesn't take that much time. Um, you know, it's really just like minutes a day. I do core work three times a week for 10 to 15 minutes. It's really, I mean, that's nothing. And you can do it at home, you know, and a lot of times mine gets shoved into the, you know, last 20 minutes before going to bed. I'm doing core work because it's the only time that I have to do it. But, you know, I think that's something that anyone can fit in. And you can just do five minutes every other day, you know, and I think you're going to see a benefit. And that's the there, main thing. Yeah. And anything, any 
not no specific running workout or or type of running? I don't think so. I mean, I think if you're doing workouts and doing something of substance every few days, you're going to get better. You know, the more miles you run, the better you're going to get. And um, that's something I learned from my college coach is that, you know, he always told me if you want to be better at running, you have to be running. <laughs> right. And that and that said is, you know, cross training is great. And um, it definitely fills the gaps when you can't run. But um, to be a better runner, you have to run. And you have to run miles and miles and miles. And, you know, they can be really, really slow. And they'll uh, eventually pick up the pace and you'll get better. There's really no, you know, it's, it's pretty much the same for everybody. I don't think anyone's, you know, different in that regard. So somebody comes up to you and says, you know, you're a really awesome runner. How, how can I get better? What kind of advice would you give them? I mean, I would tell them to, you know, probably get a coach, as I think coaches do a good job of um, seeing where you're at currently and kind of um, taking a look at what you could do, what's your potential, and I think they can guide you so that you don't do too much too soon, because that's something that we all or, you know, we're all susceptible to overdoing it. So a coach does a good job of um, holding you back and kind of guiding you to get better. Um, but also just, you know, um, staying consistent. Whatever it is that you're doing, stay consistent with it. Eventually uh, your times and paces will come down. You have to be really, really patient. Like I mentioned earlier, patience is huge, and sometimes I think we want too much too soon. So I think being patient, staying consistent, you know, get a coach, do the core work. Um, and, and lastly, uh, you know, take a look at your diet. If you are carrying a little bit of extra weight, that's, that's pretty much going to be your diet. You know, how much exercise can you do in a day? You're not going to do seven hours of exercises to try to lose weight. You know, you do have to look at your diet and just uh, not so much quantity, but just looking at making some better choices. And that's something I've had to do just um, – with a change in metabolism from my 20s to my 30s, and then having my daughter, my metabolism obviously changed significantly for a while, and um, hormones are, they affect your, your uh, metabolism, and so you kind of have to take a look at that at a day, almost a daily basis and, and stay on track with that. Can you give a few specifics? Because obviously there's a lot of people in your situation with the motherhood part, but obviously not the mm -hmm. the running level part. Um, I mean, understanding how many calories you're probably burning, and that's kind of a, a simple, you know, 100 calories per mile. Um, the more efficient you are, you're burning less. I think I'm probably only burning about 75 calories a mile. Um, and just trying to make healthier choices, I think that's pretty, I don't know, I guess to me that seems very, very simple. But making sure you're eating those uh you know, fruits and vegetables every day, getting your eight servings in or six servings in, whatever it is that you need to do. Um, kind of have a rule of thumb for myself that I have to get in my fruits and vegetables before I have something like ice cream. But, I mean, I'm eating desserts on a daily basis. <laughs> so it's not like you have to starve yourself or deprive no. yourself of stuff that you Not want. at all. Not at all. I never deprive myself. Um it just doesn't work out well if you do that. I mean, I don't even start a run in the morning without eating something. I don't go out on an empty stomach. And why is that? Is that just something you found doesn't work for you or, or what? Yeah, I find my, you know, I find myself just kind of conking out mid-run. And I, I feel like you have to do whatever it is to uh, 
make sure that you're getting those miles in and making sure that the miles count when you're getting them in. Um, a lot of people refer to miles as junk miles and yeah, you know, warm up and cool down to workouts can sometimes be a little bit of junk miles. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just on a daily basis, making sure that you're uh, preparing yourself well before you head out the door. Something else that I like to do is, I you know, I roll out. I roll all my muscles out before I get started so that I don't have that, like, sluggish first mile and, or two miles to really get myself warmed up. I'm trying to make sure that my glutes are firing before I head out the door so that everything's working. It's like a fine, you know, oiled machine. You just want to make sure everything, all your joints are moving and ready to go when you step out the door. And, you know, that's the same for fuel. I want to make sure that I have fuel in my stomach and, and I'm ready to go, that I'm not starting my run at a depleted state. And so understanding that this is a little bit, this is, well, not a little bit, this is very specific to the individual. What kind of stuff do you, would you eat before you, what do you eat before you go on a, on a run? Um, actually, uh, I got sponsored last year by Perfect Foods Bars, and okay. um, I've been eating a half a bar before I go on the run in the morning. So I drink like half a cup of coffee and half a bar, and then when I come back, I finish the bar and, you know, maybe have a piece of fruit with it. So I just, and doing that within that 30-minute window, I mean, even if it's just an easy 10-mile run, you're depleted again, you know. It's just making sure that you're taking care of yourself and keeping those calories in. I don't know. I've never had that issue personally. So I typically, I personally don't eat really anything before I go out the door really? in the morning. Maybe it's just because I'm too young yet. Who knows? No, no, no. So I want to move on to one to another topic that's a bit of a uh, interesting thing nowadays. Um, there's a lot of people that run. You know, every road race in the country is, or most of them are reporting. You know, record finishes, all, record numbers of finishes all the time. Yet, if you asked most of those people who who the best marathoners in the world are, very few of them would likely know that. How do you think we can help? we can turn some of the, more of the people who run into fans of running? That's a really good question. A loaded, a loaded um, question and a very general one. I would think that, you know, looking at it from the perspective of, you know, what sports do I, you know, don't know a lot about? So I don't know a lot about baseball, for, for, for instance. You know, what would make me more interested in baseball? Well, you know, you're probably going to get a lot of different answers from different people. Um, but for me... I think if I was meeting baseball players, you know, so like going and meeting them before the game or, um, you know, for instance, with marathons, you have the expos, right? So, you know, getting more elites to the expos, um, obviously they need to rest up and, you know, they can only be there for a short amount of time. But, you know, kind of meeting the elites and, and kind of just talking to people. I mean, I love to sit and talk about what I do with my running and I don't mind talking to anyone um, at any time. Sometimes I bump into people in the grocery store, you know, I'm wearing something with Hanson's on it and they see it and, you know, they ask me a question and I'm more than willing to answer. So I think I would be fired up about a sport if I was actually like meeting the competitors or meeting, you know, the team kind of thing. For me, I think that would get me really excited. And I think that's pretty easy to accomplish. Um, everyone has to go to the expo to pick up their, their race numbers. <laughs> right. So I think getting more elites at the expos and getting to know them. But yeah, smaller races that it's not so much the case. There's really not a meet and greet kind of atmosphere for that. Right. And it seems like even if the, the elites can be there, even if they're at the expos for 
a fairly long time. They don't have to be standing the whole time, it seems like. Right. As long as you're sitting down. Yeah, it seems like a good idea, say, at this at uh, at the Bloomsday Race, which is coming up here in Spokane in a couple of weeks, to uh, have, like, the elite athlete area. And they're there for, you know, two hours, and, they're, and you can, there can be a question-and-answer session, and people can actually mm-hmm. interact with these people. Because I think there's something of the elites get to town, and they might... Be at the, they might show up to the expo for like 20 minutes, but then they're pretty much sitting in their hotel rooms resting up for the race, which, as you said, they you have to do. Mm-hmm. But then there's really that disconnect between the field and the and between the elite field and the rest of the field. Yeah, I mean, I think if you have uh, you know 20 elite athletes or 40 elite athletes, if you take that expo time and divide it among each athlete and kind of just have like a new rotation of athletes coming in all the time. It really ends up being not a big deal. And, I mean, it's really the least that you can do because you're probably getting paid to be there. I mean, you know, like, they're paying for your flight or they're paying for your race entry. It's really, like, the least you can do is really mingle. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So what final advice do you have for our listeners out there? You know, I think you have to find what works for you. Um, it's a lot of trial and error. So my number one, uh, when you think... Well, Thinking back on that, uh, your question is, you know, number one, have a running log. I know a ton of people. I know people on my team that do not have running logs. And I think you have to keep track of kind of day-to-day things within your running log. So it's not just I ran 10 miles, you know, and the course and what the weather was and what your time was. I mean, kind of write down some other things that might be going on in your life. Um, I just had a pet die recently and... I definitely was down for a few days and, uh, you know, I put that in my running log because I know that that affected me. I think your running log is almost a little bit like a diary and (laughs) you can keep track of little things in there that could be affecting you emotionally. Um, And I think it's a great tool to look back and say, yes, this worked. When did I have a great training session? This was my great training session. What was I doing in this training session? What kind of paces... Was I running? What kind of mileage was I running? You know, what was going on in my life at that time? Um, You know, I think it says a lot, you know, being able to look back and try to learn from your mistakes. Because I think we're really, uh, as runners in general, we kind of, we think that we know what works. But I think if you went back and looked at what actually works, um, you might get a different perspective. So, you know, have a running log run lots of miles, try to eat right, try to get lots of sleep, something I don't do, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, do the core work because I think that can really, really help, um, especially if you're injury prone. Speaking of that, can you maybe tell us about an experience you've had with injury and how you came back from it and what you think about coming back from injuries? Um, I had a fracture, not a stress fracture, an impact fracture um, from rolling my ankle in uh, my fibula. But I was able to run through it because it was uh, it wasn't a weight bearing bone. That's kind of fortunate. I've had a bit of experience with stress fractures myself in the past, and I'm actually dealing with a, the latest flare up of it right now. It's from indoor track when I was in college because I'm from the Midwest too, and I okay. went to school at a small school in Wisconsin. But I did a lot of 5K, 3K doubles mm-hmm. at indoor meets, so just too many turns in little shoes on that bone yeah there's not much you can do about it once it's already happened you just have to take time off you just take the six weeks and call it done yeah 
hopefully it heals up quicker than you think. And Yeah, let's hope. I think I'm on, this is three weeks right now, I think. Are you cross-training at all or no, or are you not? Uh, not really. I, work, I have a day job in a running store, so I'm fairly active. Plus, I walk to work every day. Right, yeah, you're, do, you're doing fine, yeah. Sometimes it's better to not do any cross-training. There are times to do cross-training, but sometimes it's best to just take the dang time off and get it healed. Yeah, you know, in college, we were all, it was, coach was all about the elliptical. And it seemed like our experience that, yeah, you could do something and it would heal, but it wouldn't heal as quickly as if you didn't do anything. Yeah, I agree. I don't know why, but it just, even if you're not really impacting on it, it just, with something like that, it, I did that did the elliptical for four weeks after it happened the first time and felt okay for a week. And then, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I see it. I, don't, I haven't really experienced it myself, but I see it within my teammates that I have some teammates that are super aggressive about cross training mm-hmm. and they seem, they're the ones that seem injury prone actually, which is kind of weird. But, um, I did do, um, instead of doing second runs for a marathon segment, I actually did, uh, cycling instead Mm -hmm. because I was having trouble sleeping and I just felt like I was constantly overtrained. So I just, I was like, I'm going to take this marathon segment and I'm just going to ride my bike in the afternoons instead of running in the afternoons and uh, ran my second fastest time in the marathon. So it could well be the, one of the faster marathons ever on 80 miles a week or something. (laughs) Yeah, it was, you know, so, I mean, Sometimes it's good, but I wasn't injured at the moment. I was just no. trying to prevent injury. So there's a difference. Um, but yeah, I've, we've also had you know some women on the team that have gotten hurt, and then like you, just hey, I'm active in life, and I'm going to be fine in six weeks, and I'm not going to do any cross training, and they come back just fine. So yeah, and I've come back just fine a couple times. It just just seems to keep coming back for whatever reason. Well, Dot, thanks very much for your time. We. Uh, I think a lot of people will get some good advice out of this out of this interview, especially those uh, those mothers out there who are trying to who are trying to run and race well. There's a lot of them now too. So. There are lots and lots. There's a lot of baby <laughs> strollers on the on the race courses. Yes, there is. Well, anyway, thanks very much for your time and uh, have a great rest of the day. No so problem. That- thanks, Lucas. The second part of this week's episode features Ryan Vale, who's fast becoming one of the best marathoners that the U.S. has to offer, as evidenced by his recent 10th place finish at the London Marathon in a personal best time of 2.10.57. A 2009 graduate of Oklahoma State University, Ryan is one of the few Americans who has made the marathon his priority event from early on in his professional career. He's also one of the very few to still train with his college coach. A few things that Ryan and I discussed included the importance of sticking with a given training system in order to give it time to work, the seemingly extreme amounts of running volume that Ryan does in training and how he stays healthy doing it, and the fact that Ryan trains alone and how he makes that into an asset for himself. We'd like to thank both Ryan and Dot for their time and wish them both the best of luck in future racing. Any resources mentioned in this episode can be found at runnersconnect.net slash runninginterviews slash double feature. So Ryan, thanks for being on the show today. Congrats on your recent London Marathon finish. Um, tell us how that race went for you. Uh, it went fairly according to plan. The uh, um, the pace group went out within within the range they were supposed to. Um, unfortunately, the pace group kind of disintegrated uh, after about 16 or 17 miles. So I, I was doing most of the leading after 17 miles, so that made that second half pretty tough. Well, it still ended up being a pretty good finish time. Was it a 45-second PR? Yeah, right about that. Okay. So tell us a bit about your running background. 
Uh, sure. I started. Uh, I really started in middle school, uh, but high school was really the first time I took it seriously. I was uh, playing football in the fall, doing wrestling in the winter, and then running track in the spring to kind of round things out. And um, my junior year, I finally gave up those other sports and decided to focus on running all year round. And that was kind of the the turning point for me that year, making that full time commitment. And that's when I um, made made more of a lifestyle out of it and less for recreation. Okay. So then kind of tell us how college went for you. Yeah, so then uh, uh, I knocked out some good times my junior year after after just training you know, for the first time for a whole year around. Um, that's when I started to get calls from colleges and uh, went through the recruiting process, uh, which is you know, a pretty long and stressful project for a 17 or 18-year-old. But I, I really clicked with Dave. Uh, Dave Smith at Oklahoma State, I clicked with the team down there. Um, it was a long way to go from home, but... Uh, um, it was something I felt was like the right decision to, to leave the Northwest, even though there's some historic programs up there. Um, we weren't a great team when I got there, but we were good. Um, but it took, you know, it took us the full five and a half years of me being there to, to finally pull off our ultimate goal of winning that national cross country championship. Right. Which was 2009. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So you've been with your coach, Dave Smith, since that year, 2004, and it's obviously worked pretty well for you. Tell us about the importance of sticking with a given training system. I think that's been huge for me. Um, it's this being 2014 marks. This will be 10 years that I've been working with them, and um, I've I've gotten a PR uh, every year since we started together, which is um, pretty incredible for 10 years. I know that can't go on forever, but I attribute uh, you know almost all of that just to the consistency of the program. Um, honestly, the things we do today um, are very similar to what we did my. You know, my, my first semester at Oklahoma State 10 years ago, just uh, obviously faster and longer. Um, but it's been a very, very gradual progression in terms of uh, building the miles, getting faster in the workouts. Um, every year and every uh, training block, we've taken just one small step forward. Even now for my four marathon training blocks, each time just taking a small step forward. And the biggest thing for me is having him there as that moderating force when I read a training or talk to other people and, and I want to get out there and start running longer runs, running faster runs, doing these types of workouts. Dave's the one that sits there and says, no, just keep doing what we're doing. <laughs> and so I think that's what's kept me healthy and kept me progressing, progressing slowly, but still progressing, still going in the right direction. Well, very good. So speaking of those marathon blocks, you're known for putting in some 150-mile weeks during marathon preparation, which is a lot, even for a marathoner. Um, why so much volume? That's obviously quite a lot of wear and tear on the body. I think that's one of my strengths is that I've, uh, I showed uh, David Oklahoma State that I could uh, stay healthy for this big mileage, and I think that's a big asset for me um, as opposed to some other people who can only handle the, you know, the 110 to 120 mile range. Um, they may be doing some more intensity, but for me, I think for my long-term development, my ability um, to put in this big mileage uh, as a marathoner, not just this next year, but over the next uh, you know, 10 years, I think that's going to be uh, my biggest asset is my ability to handle the big volume. And what kinds of things do you do to keep yourself healthy through all that wear and tear? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is listening to my body. Of course, I get massages, um, icing, uh, the ibuprofen, all this kind of stuff, uh, uh, you know, going to a chiropractor. I'm doing all the little things that most of these guys do. Uh, but for me, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm very good at listening to my body. If I need to take off during the training block uh, a day, because I just, I just don't feel right, I'm, I'm comfortable doing that. Um, or backing off for a day and just running slow. Um, I think I'm very in tune with my body and know when to back off and when to press. Absolutely. 
So with that kind of volume, the running obviously has to come first. How do you approach non-running work? Uh, I do uh, do work a little bit in a running store in Portland. Um, not a lot of hours, though. Sometimes it's five hours a week. Sometimes it's you know, 15, 20 hours a week. That's pretty rare. Um, they've been very good about letting me keep running uh, first in my life. And so um, for me, it hasn't been, hasn't been very difficult because I have lots of time. And so for me, in my mind, my job is running and everything else outside of that is just that it's, it's on the side. And so I approach it like a normal nine to five. Um, and my only vacation throughout the year is this right now, this week, week or two after the marathon when I don't have to run. So every, every other day is a nine to five in my mind. How's your recovery from the marathon going? It's going pretty well. I think it was, uh, it was pretty rough for about three days. Today was a big step forward, though. I'm feeling a lot better today. Well, that's good. So as you said, you live in Portland with your wife and work in a running store and do pretty much all of your training on your own. How do you stay motivated to train that much on your own? That's a, that's a hard question for me to answer. I just, I just enjoy what I'm doing. Um, I know some people have trouble getting out there and putting the volume in, but that's, that's, what, I, that's what I want to do. I enjoy doing it. Like I said, I take it as my nine to five. It's I have a plan written out by Dave, and there's no, in my mind, there's no option of not doing it for that day. If I have 21 miles on the on the slate for that day, it's that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm getting done, and work isn't over until it's done. Um, and so I think it's just taking that approach to it has helped me a lot. It's a good approach to take, I guess. In previous interviews, you've talked about the balance between quantity and quality of training. How do you uh, find that balance with the quantity being so high? Yeah, I, th- I think each training block I've gotten a little bit better at that. I still have a long ways to go. Um, I- I'm just trying to um, I'm trying to take the different approach from track and cross country, which is a big emphasis on on uh, intense workouts and recovering in between. Whereas marathon training, a big part of that is just logging a lot of miles and a lot of quality miles, and so. You know, if you need to be running, you know, 540 pace on some of your easy days, and you're going to be tired for your workouts, but that's part of marathon training. So I'm still, I'm trying to adapt mentally and physically to that idea. Um, again, I think each marathon block, I've done a little bit better job of that, but I still have a ways to go with that. Right. So when you were in college, you had a reputation of being a pretty constant team captain and team guy. Do you ever feel the urge to go join a training group and not have to go up by yourself all the time? Yeah, I mean, I think I, that's something I really miss from college, definitely, is having that, that team atmosphere um, and having someone to, to lead. It kind of gives you a little extra motivation for the day. Um, it's just it's a lot harder post-collegiately to find a group that fits that situation, especially now when you're marathon training. Yeah, there's uh, some good track groups out there, but there's not, not a lot of great big marathon groups that, that kind of fit into to what I want to do. And the other big challenge is obviously wanting to stick with my coach, uh, wanting to stick with Dave Smith, you know, most training groups, obviously, you're going to have to switch that up. So it's it's been kind of a, a hard decision in, uh, in terms of uh, what's more important to you. And for me, the consistency of training with Dave um, uh, and, and putting myself in a good a good city and a good place to train, and that's, that's been my priority. Yeah, that sounds like a good way to go. So you've been posting all of your training on a blog for almost a year now. That's not something that most people do. Why did you decide to do it? Uh, for me, it was, uh, I, I started looking around when I decided to do the, my first marathon uh, at the Olympic trials in Houston. Uh, Dave had never coached anybody in the marathon. I had never run the marathon, obviously. And so we were, we were both kind of reaching out to people and, and trying to get, you know, the, 
the basics for and some recommendations for people that have run it, for people that have coached it. Um, and it was a little bit more challenging than I thought it would be. Obviously, if I reached out to specific individuals, uh, even the guys I'm competing against, they were usually pretty open um, about their training and, and about um, you know helping me, giving me advice and things like that. But uh, for me, it was why, why is this so hard to find? Uh, um, I, I wanted to be the guy that put it out there and showed that there's first of all to start some dialogue with other people, but then also to show that there's no there's no magic in this. So you get a lot of people that ask you, what are your what's your big workout? What's your big marathon workout? What's this week? And thinking that there's some magic layout or some uh, special way to do it. And I really wanted to show people that, especially after talking to other elites, you know, it's just it's just putting the volume in, putting the time in, just like everybody else. Okay, so tell us about how you approach fueling during a marathon because it's obviously a long time and something that you and all marathoners have to do it's also one of the more hotly contested topics out there today yeah uh, after talking to my my agent um who's uh, his name's yuri van der Velden. he's in, a, in the netherlands so they have a nutritionist on their staff who um who worked with uh gary Selassie and uh, bekele and these other athletes and so they they kind of had a pretty simple plan which is just dumping those power bar gels into water and mixing it up since you have your electrolytes and sugar and caffeine all in one packet um, and so I just adopted that uh, that model with uh, uh, they kind of gave me the ratio and I had already had the power bar sponsorship at the time so it worked out really well that was the same stuff they were using so I started using it in practice and, uh, and it worked out very well for me so I've just kind of stuck with that ever since. And how do you practice doing that? Uh, for my all of my long runs uh, and for my uh, hard workouts, I, I take fluids in between the reps if I'm doing intervals or during the long run, I'll actually drive out to wherever I'm running beforehand and, and drop the bottles off every 5K. Um, and I'll take them just like I would during the race. Um, it's not just practicing. Uh, it's practicing the physical part of actually drinking the water while you're running fast. It's actually pretty challenging, but then also um, getting your, prepping your stomach and prepping your digestive system to, to handle it, uh, especially when you're running hard. It's a big difference between trying to digest water and sugar when you're running 6.30 pace versus when you're running 5-minute pace. Yeah, I'd imagine so. So with all this volume you're doing, um, where do you go? What do you add to your training for your next marathon? Um, Volume-wise, I don't. I definitely don't plan on going any higher than 150 miles. Um, now it's, it's more about taking that next step forward in terms of quality when it comes to those miles. And again, um, we don't have to change a lot. You know, I think we, we've seen I've, I've been progressing uh, each marathon and so again just taking a very small step forward again um as we go forward again with with the, with the quality mostly um i think um especially the long runs i think that's the hardest thing to do is that uh, to trans uh, transition from thinking that running six minute pace for a 22 miles is, is a good day and then you know, realizing that you need to be running 5 30 pace even on an easy long run so i think just doing a better job of that and getting more of those in um whilst, while trying to stay healthy so what's an element that you think most runners could add to their training, whether it be 5K, marathon, half marathon, whatever? Um, I think I my biggest thing has been uh, running hard at the end of a run. Even if it's considered more of an easy long run day, uh, adding three or four miles at the end of the run um, closer to race pace. It doesn't have to be spot on race pace, but that push at the later stages of the run when you're tired, um, I think it's, it's hard to mimic the end of a marathon, and this is about as close as as you can get and, and keeping it on a regular basis. So you remember how bad that feels. Um, I think that's a, a great thing to do at the end of a run. 
And how do you incorporate that into your own program? Is it just something you have to do, or is there a certain workout that prepares you for it? How does how do you go about that? Yeah, there's a couple ways. Uh, if it's just a normal long day where he says you're going to run 22 miles, then normally we'll put something in there at like 16 to 20 or um, 17 to 21, where he'll say run close to race pace during this, um, just depending on how you feel. And then also we do workouts where um, I'll do a tempo, you know, that threshold pace or around half marathon pace um, at the beginning of the run. I'll warm up, do a, let's say, a four-mile tempo, and then go out and do 10 miles at moderate pace, so let's say 5.30, 5.40 pace, and then come back with another four-mile tempo, um, something around half marathon pace afterwards. So that's, that's really you're getting from a miles, you know, 18 to 22 or 19 to 23 um, of a very hard effort, much harder than race pace. Um, when you're exhausted, uh, and I do that in the track, so it's a very focused effort, it's very specific, um, and so I think both of those, uh, just tacking out the end of a long run and getting some threshold work uh, at the later stages of a run. That sounds like a pretty challenging workout. Yeah, those are those are the hardest workouts in my block, for sure. So I want to change gears a bit. There are tons of people in the U.S. today who run or consider themselves runners. How do you think we can turn more of those runners into fans of the sport? Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting question and something that's being talked about a lot right now. I just uh, get Chris Lossie talking a little bit about this himself and how he feels that the road racing um, right now is in a pretty good place. Uh, you get a lot of fans out for it. You get so many participants, I think, is the biggest thing, um, participants in that race itself. The hard part is how do you get them to be fans of track and field fans of cross country to show up to an event where they're not participating or not getting something out of it themselves other than enjoying watching the sport. I think that's a tough question. I don't think I have a great answer for it other than um, what a lot of people have already said and and making it more exciting, making it more of a a show, more of a spectacle, something more like the Olympics maybe, um, as opposed to um, making, you know, almost sounds like a golf tournament sometimes when you show up there, just uh, calm, calm speaking, uh, no information about the athletes, no excitement, no music. You know, I think, you know, take something from the other professional sports and make it a really fun, exciting thing that people want to take their kids to, people want to go out and have a good time to. Absolutely. As you said, that's something that a lot of people are talking about today, but the sport seems fairly rooted in the old amateur days of England where that kind of thing just wasn't done. The question is who's responsible to, uh, you know, who, who has the responsibility to take a step forward and change this? You know, that's, that's a question we can sit here and and say that this is what needs to be done, but now what's the next step? Who do we who do we get to who do we need to talk to? Whose ear do we need to get into to, to take a step forward? All right. So what are your future race plans at this point? I'm gonna come back to the track now. I've done two marathons in a row, so it's important for me physically and mentally to come back down and um, get some, some faster stuff in, get some shorter stuff in, a little less volume. Um, so I definitely plan on running the ten K at the US champs. I'm just kind of jumping into that, and I may for I may do a tune-up race before that, just a couple weeks before. They've got the Portland Track Festival uh, going on, so I, I, I'm actually considering even jumping into a 1500 as my next race. Wow, that's quite <laughs> a jump. Get the, get the stuff. Yeah, I've got lots of time, though. It's uh, no, That's not till mid-June, um, so I've got plenty of time in between to, uh, to do some tune-up workouts. Absolutely. Sounds like they'll be needed. I've read your blog, and there's not a whole lot there faster than 440 pace. Yeah, yeah. Gonna have, gonna have to, gonna have to really crank those workouts down now, but they'll be a lot shorter. And I've already got the base now, so no need for the, the really long tempos or anything like that. I've got about as good of a base as you can ask for. So now it's more about just kind of cleaning things up once I get once I get recovered. 
And then after that, will we see you on the track in Europe or other road races or a fall marathon? What's next? I'd like to I'd like to get a couple five Ks in over in Europe. I think that's one of my one of my PRs on the track that I think I I'd like to um, drop down quite a bit. Um, if you compare it to my 10K, it's pretty slow. And so um, really just for me, for development purposes and, uh, and taking the pressure away from the marathon training just to go over and, and drop a couple of 5Ks in Europe, try to get a good PR. There's no money in it. Obviously, I'll probably be spending money to get out there and do it. But I think for my long-term development, it's important. And uh, fall marathon at all this year? Yeah, that's the plan. Get a good, uh, good fairly short but late track season in and, then, and hopefully uh, get a fall marathon then. And then uh, not not do a spring marathon, but go back to sort of what I've done for a lot of the last um, uh, last few years and try to make the world cross country team, uh, do some shorter road races, and do the track again. Sounds pretty exciting. So to finish off, I'd like to ask a quick series of five questions. Uh, what do you eat before a race? Uh, usually, it's uh, some kind of cereal or uh, or oatmeal, and then a power bar and a banana. And that's about how long before? <laughs> Uh, I would eat the cereal about three to four hours before. And this is for every race, marathon, 5K, whatever? Uh, well, if I'm running a track or something like that, it's usually in the evening, so that's a little bit different. I usually try to get a pretty good, pretty big lunch in with some, uh, a sandwich or something like that. So for, for morning red races, it's it's about the standard. If it's a shorter red race, sometimes I'll just eat a power bar. But for the marathon, I try to get some more calories in. What's your favorite workout? Oh, man. I think I think sugar workout is probably now. I keep going back and forth. I've had this question a lot, and I keep giving different answers. But right now, when I'm at the end of a marathon session, I think I'm really looking forward to doing ten times five hundred on the track. We do it with a short uh, one hundred uh, jog, so it's usually thirty five seconds rest uh, and trying to go at go five k pace. So it's intense, um, but it's short and it's over quickly. And when you when you nail that workout, you know you're ready for something good on the track. What's your favorite race event that you've done? Ah oh, man, well, I have to say World Cross Country. Yeah, I'll put it. I'll put it right there. Yeah, um, this last year, obviously, being the, the the highlight of that. But I think the World Cross Country Championships is my my favorite race. And what do you do for fun when you're not running or working? Uh, traveling is the big thing for me and my wife. So when we when we do have time um, after racing, we like to take a trip. We've done some pretty big trips after my my first few marathons. Um, won't have time for a huge one this time, but still a nice little road trip through. Central Europe, um, and then hopefully after a fall marathon, we'll make another adventure out of it. There you go. And finally, what race would you love to run in the future? Uh, uh, Boston, I guess I can put that out there. That's something that's definitely on my bucket list and um, didn't work out this year, but I, I definitely foresee myself there at some point. Very good. Well, Ryan, we'd like to thank you for your time today, and we wish you the best of luck in your future races, and also have fun on your, on your upcoming vacation. Thank you. Thanks a lot.